welcome to the St. Mode Show. This week, we have Filka, Tom Smith, Pink Flamingo Style, Meat Stone, Music Guest, Chris Hill, Music by Jacoba. I'm your guest announcer, Buster Poindexter. And now, the one, the only, Stateboard himself, Matthew Kelly. All right, thank you everybody. We've got a really big show tonight. I don't even have time for a monologue, but I'd like to say, Buster. Yes, Amo. I've been a huge fan of yours for years, and it would be an honor if I could sing a song with you. Not a problem. Hit it, Chico's vibe. Shining bright above you Night breezes seem to whisper I love you But in your dreams, whatever they be Dream a little dream of me Say nighty night and kiss me just hold me tight and tell me you miss me While I'm alone and blue as can be Dream a little dream of me Stars fading but I linger on dear How you linger on Still craving your kiss How I crave your kiss I'm longing to linger how you linger on Just Give me a little kiss Sweet dreams Till sunbeams find you Sweet dreams that leave all worries behind you But in your dreams, whatever they be Dream a little dream of me segment Skyping with the Stars, we have Tom Smith, a filker. Um, is that the correct way to pronounce that? <laughs> the correct way to pronounce it is musician, but yes. <laughs> uh, now, 
I actually am not super familiar with the term. I heard it for the first time maybe about a year ago. Uh, and then recently I had the Hobbit hip-hop group Lord of the Rhymes on the show. <laughs> and they had mentioned it, and they had defined it as songs about Star Trek. Uh, but I know that that's not completely true because the song that I know by you is A Boy and His Frog. Um, so what exactly is uh, filking? Um, there are a few different definitions of it depending on whether or not you're using it as a noun or a verb. Um, the first thing about filking is is that filk came from a typo. Back in the antediluvian days of the late 50s, early 60s, when we didn't have the internet and people who wanted to actually communicate, uh, you know, fans who wanted to communicate with other fans did fanzines, usually on mimeograph machines, you know, with the purple ink and all that stuff. And, yeah. Um, somebody was talking about a convention, and, you know, back then, of course, conventions were much smaller as well, uh, where late night, some people were sitting around, and they were goofing with guitars and singing folk music, which had had the words retooled so that, you know, instead of, like, the streets of Laredo, you've got the spaceports of Io or something like that. <laughs> And somebody, at one point, misspelled folk to be filk. And Karen Anderson, the wife of author Paul Anderson, saw that and said, yep, that's it. And uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're doing. And, you know, since then, it's, uh, you know, it's become actually a pretty big thing. Um, so you can say filk is, uh, you know, the music of the science fiction and fanish community. Okay. You can also say that uh, a song is a filk. For instance, you know, you know, I, I filked, you know, this song. That's a parody of that song. You know, I, I, I filked, uh, uh, you know, the the first thing that I did on a stage was a song called "Crystal Gale Killed Frank Herbert," which is a a filk of an existing song by Crystal Gale. You know, the spice melange, it's so cinnamon sweet. I put it on most everything I eat. It's addictive too, and don't it make my brown eyes blue? And uh, the absolute horror is all the Dune fans saw that line coming was addicting. So, um, <laughs> Filk is also a community. The people who do the music. And there are music fans, there are music, you know, you know, musicians. Uh, you know, we got dozens and dozens and dozens at any given convention. And at the specialized Filk conventions, we have hundreds which is really great because, uh, for instance, OVFF, the Ohio Valley Folk Fest, uh, near the end of uh, October every year in Columbus, Ohio, it's like 350 people in an extended family getting together for Thanksgiving. It really is. I mean, you know, there's incredible music. About half the people at the con are musicians, and most of them will, will perform that weekend. But it's also just, hey, haven't seen you. Uh, you know, lots of hugs, lots of good stuff like that. And uh, so that's, that's, that's more or less what Filk is. Well, the song that I know of yours uh, is a song called A Boy and His Frog, which uh, I had first found, I, I had written an article almost a year ago now about the loss of Jim Henson 20 years ago and kind of looking back on that. And, I mean, every time I hear that song and every time I play it for someone, they get teary-eyed. I can't even imagine you being able to perform the song live without getting emotional reactions from people. I I can't and, do it without tearing up myself. Yeah. I mean, you know, to this to this day. And I think what's interesting is I really legitimately can't think of any other celebrity whose death still has such a strong resonance with people. Mhm. Mm um I, I I mean, I guess it's easily safe to assume you're a Henson fan. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, why Oh, maybe just a little bit, you. Yeah. Why do you think that is exactly? What do you think it was with Jim Henson that just made him so important to so many people for so long, for all these years later, versus any other artist? I can only speculate. I know yeah. why. It, I know why it is for me. Um, Henson. <laughs> I put a lot of it into the song. Henson wanted to make people happy. He wanted to make people happy in a way that had not been done before. He took a fairly staid and ordinary form of entertainment 
puppetry and turned it into something that not only kids could appreciate because what they did with it was brand new with bright colors and loud noises and people being silly, but the humor was also on an adult level so the uh, the adults could say, hey, that's pretty good. I mean, you know, one of the first Muppets that anybody saw was, uh, I think it was on the Andy Williams show. I can't remember for sure, but Rolf the dog had a regular gig on the TV show of, of one of the crooners of the, uh, the mid-60s, okay? Um, you know, they did stuff on The Tonight Show. They did stuff on Saturday Night Live. Um, Kermit, you know, made the transition from Sesame Street to The Muppet Show, and everything just got louder and weirder and funnier on The Muppet Show. Um, again, to this day, they do remarkable things with The Muppets, and people remember it their entire lives. I mean, I mean, you know, my entire life has had Muppets in it. I cannot imagine a universe without The Muppets. And when you start talking about them, it's, it's, it's like... Um, <laughs> it would be like when Mel Blanc passed away or when Chuck Jones passed away. Okay. These were big, important names for people to know, but they didn't know them. They knew Bugs Bunny and they knew Daffy Duck and other creators kept on doing them. The difference is Chuck and Mel were not in the foreground. And with Jim Henson, you knew what Jim Henson looked like. You know what he talked like for real. He would go on interviews with Kermit, and they would both be interviewed. Uh, you know, uh, as I say on the webpage, one of my favorite stories about that, which they uh, they played right after Henson passed away, was um, an interview that he had done for NPR, where the announcer had to apologize for the sound quality because the engineer had Mike the Frog. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he made you believe that damn talking frog was real. And to this day, Kermit the Frog is real. Kermit, Kermit's real. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's all there is. You don't you don't you don't host Nightline without actually being real, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, I think one of the most and he touched everybody's hearts that yeah. way. He 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 dug into everybody's inner psyche and said, "Here, here's some fun we can share." And yeah, here we go. Yeah, one of the one of the toughest things for me to watch, and I, I actually try to watch it once a year is a, a bootleg I purchased of um, the Muppets Celebrate Jim Henson television special. Yeah. Which is just... You know, it's it's so heart-wrenching, and you, you see how, how much he affected the wide scale of people, because people forget, like, they think of him as the guy with the Muppets, and they forget of all the technological advances that came from him, and all, yep. all the things that... You know, our entertainment industry would be nothing like it is today without him. Mm -hmm. And it's almost a shame because he's only remembered for the Muppets on a on a vast scale anyway. Uh, Still, that's that's enough. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, enough. you can't. It's it's almost impossible to meet someone who doesn't have a fond Muppet memory, be it Labyrinth or Dark Crystal or legitimately the Muppet Show or Muppet Babies. Mm -hmm. And in exactly the same way as uh, Walt Disney, okay, very few people know anybody in the Disney hierarchy. Okay, they know Roy Disney, though. Yeah. They knew Michael Eisner, and Michael Eisner used that. This, this, you know, because, <laughs> because he put himself in the forefront and said, hi, I'm, you know, this person with this. And, um, you know, of course, Walt, you know, used to host TV shows for decades. And that way, he became a beloved figure because he was up front with them. Um but Jim and Kermit were literally joined at the elbow. And the fact that the fact that both Jim and Kermit were wonderful beings and you wanted to listen to them. They were funny, they were entertaining, and they were witty and all this stuff. It's like you know, you know, Frank Oz has a lot of the same because a lot of people do know who Frank Oz is, although it's mostly because of his, you know, one cameo in the Blues Brothers. So <laughs> <laughs> one prophylactic. Soiled. <laughs> anyway. Uh. <laughs> now, <laughs> and, and the thing is, like I said, this is where it comes back around to Felk, is that, you know, I feel like your song, A Boy and His Frog, gives more closure than almost any other thing with that song, because... Thank you. It well, it's a friendly reminder that like yeah, Jim's gone, but we can still. Uh, I 
I think the the quote at the end of the Muppet Celebrate Jim Henson is like, you know, now we've just got to be louder and crazier and have even more fun because he's not here. We need to make up for that lost piece yeah. of the puzzle. Yeah. And yeah. that song just had so much closure because for those of you who haven't heard the song, it's a beautiful song, but you know, at the end Kermit decides he's going to keep going. Like it's on YouTube. There's a couple good videos with it. Some fan videos have been made up that I like a lot. Yeah. But the thing is, I wrote it right after he passed away, okay? He passed away on, like, the Wednesday just before Marcon, which is a big regional convention in uh, uh, Columbus, Ohio. And everybody was still kind of wandering around going, Jim Henson died the other day, man. Oh, man. (laughs) Jim Henson freaking... And... I had to do something, and I had a concert that af- uh, the, that Saturday afternoon, and uh, that Saturday morning I sat down. There's a big set of stairs going from the second level down to the uh, the food court on the first level, and I sat there and beat on the song for like a half an hour, and I ended up going up to the uh, up to my hotel room and basically singing it through until I could get through it twice without breaking down into tears completely. Yeah. And then I went down to get on stage, and I broke down anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it safe to say that it's your most popular song for even people who aren't familiar? Like, even for someone like me who's never heard of Felking, I heard that song, and I had to pass it around to other people, and I imagine mm-hmm. that it's a similar situation. Yeah, they're, they're, that, that one I would say is, is, if not my most popular, certainly in the top three. <laughs> now, if someone wanted to get into more of your music... What what songs would you recommend them starting with, and and where can they go and hear these songs? <laughs> well, uh, I have a website, TomSmithOnline.com, uh, and I've got eighteen, nineteen albums for sale up there, as long uh, as as well as a bunch of live shows. Uh, the live shows are actually uh, less expensive than the albums uh, by a good deal, so it's you know probably uh, probably best to get one of those to start off with. Uh, there's there's an album there which I believe is only five dollars called uh, uh, Homecoming Marcon two thousand five. It was my uh, the first time being music guest at Marcon and it was my twentieth anniversary of going to Marcon. It's like you know as I say at the beginning of the concert, you know when I started coming to this con, Reagan had just been reelected, <laughs> you know which just boggled me thinking about it. And um, that's got a bunch of good songs. I've got. Uh, I've got some things on YouTube. Check out things on YouTube. I wrote the official chanty for Talk Like a Pirate Day. You can find that. There's a song of mine on YouTube called I Had a Shoggoth, which I wrote as a kind of a, a, kind of a counterpoint to all of the, the kids' songs. Hi, this is a kids' learning song. I got a cat and the cat please me. And the cat went fiddle-dee-dee. And I don't know any cat that's ever gone fiddle-dee-dee. Uh, <laughs> and so I started writing, I had a shoggoth, he pleased me, and he drove me to insanity. Shoggoth went tekalee-lee. <laughs> I had a min. I had a minion. He pleased me. Got victims for my laboratory. <laughs> Sh- uh, minion went. Yes, master. Shoggoth went. Take a lead me. And <laughs> and, uh, and that one's also a lot of fun because the 2006 uh, Pegasus Award, the Pegasus Awards are our fandoms. Uh, you know, basically our our, our Grammys. Uh, 2006 Best Performer winner Judy Miller, who does American Sign Language uh, poetry in terp of a lot of songs, uh, did that on stage with me, and she'd not heard the song before. So, you know, she just does some gyrations that are amazing. You thought the Batusi was funny. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we, we, we do serious, we do funny, we do epic, we do... Uh, uh, Celtic, we do rock, we do all kinds of sprawling things. Lots of instrumentals, lots of uh, lots of puns, uh, lots of uh, lots of old favorites. Uh, Juanita Colson, the grand dame of of Filk, who's been doing this for like longer than most of us have been alive. Seriously, says that Filk basically is whatever you decide to do in the Filk room, and that works. You know, we we you know drag out the Doctor Demento and Tom Lair all the time. We'll do Gilbert and Sullivan riffs. Uh, I remember at one convention some years ago, uh, there's an old Flanders and Swan thing about a dirty old man trying to take advantage of a uh, tender young lady, and it's called Have Some Madeira, Madeira. And there was basically a tag team of like six dirty old men and, and five young virgins, you know, all doing in, in, in chorus and harmony, Have Some Madeira, Madeira. <laughs> it was very silly. Uh, well, thank you for coming by, Tom. I really appreciate it, uh, and my fans should all go and check out TomSmithOnline.com and download some albums. All righty. Thank you very much, Matt. No problem.
We'll be back after this commercial break. You might remember back in episode 2, or bonus episode 1, a group called There Are Monsters. St. Patrick's Day may have been this weekend, but that doesn't mean that you can't download their new EP, The St. Patty's Day Massacre, featuring the song you're hearing right now, The Moonshiner. On top of that, you get to hear three other songs, including a reworked version of Angel in a Bottle from bonus episode number one. How do you want to hear this shit? It's very simple. All you got to do is get on your computer and go to mohawkradio.com slash there underscore r underscore monsters. And you will be able to listen to some sweet ass songs like this song right here, Moonshiner. to the St. Mort Show. Next on, we have star of such films as Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble, Desperate Living, the one, the only, Mink Stoll. Hi. It's great to have you here. Well, thank you, especially since you're actually here. <laughs> since I'm having you here. Uh, the... Okay, so when I first heard that I was going to have you on the show. I, uh-huh. I was extremely excited and I immediately wrote to a bunch of my friends was like, I'm going to have things stolen in the show. Is there anything you've ever wanted to ask them? And I had one person write in a question. And uh, it was my friend out in LA, Eric Diaz, who's a huge fan. And he wanted to know, with all of the quotable lines that have come from all these movies, do you find people coming up to you and quoting films to you in everyday situations? Not in everyday situations, no. I mean, I, I can go to the grocery store without having that happen, and I do. But when I am on stage and I'm performing, or, you know, last, last summer I toured with uh, a movie that I made with Peaches Christ called All About Evil, and we performed, and then after the shows we would always do a meet and greet, and then, you know, so when I'm in my sort of uh, celebrity persona, Yes, then it happens. But no, when I'm just being myself, when I'm just, you know, mink from the block, I'm fine. I'm, I'm alone. Now, I, I feel like, and if you watch, you know, John's different live shows, he even talks about, you know, I want, you know, Steve Buscemi to play me in a movie one day. I think that in the next five years, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see a movie about, like, the making of Pink Flamingos or, or that. Well, there is a, there's a documentary about the yeah. making of Pink Flamingos. Divine, Divine Trash. Trash. Now, if they were to make a film, who would you want to play 1974 Mink? I, you know, I don't really know because I don't know who these kids are. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that out of any pride. It's just that there are so many young actresses out there, and I honestly don't know who they are. Years ago, I would have said Jodie Foster, but we're, you know, I mean, she's past the age of being able to play me in 74 now, too. <laughs> so, because uh, I thought she would make a great mink stole. Um, but, you know, I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of, uh, actually, uh, um, the girl who was in Winter's Bone, what was her name? I can tell you in a second. Can you can you yeah. pause it and I'll I, I can edit it. Okay, because I have the um, <laughs> wait a minute, I have the magazine that has a picture on the cover. I did recognize her at the Oscars. I wanna I, But I, I thought she was really good. And her name is Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. I thought that not that she looks like me, but she's got a real intensity about her. <laughs> I, I would love to see just that movie. I even have a title in my head of what would be great. It would be The Dreamlanders, How Five Friends and a Drag Queen Chase. <laughs> <laughs> there were actually more than five of us. Um, you know, there, there, there were, uh, because you cannot, dis- you can't count out uh, Pat Moran, who has been John's best friend and associate producer and casting director for a billion years. And you can't count out Van Smith, who was responsible for creating the whole look of all of the characters. You know, I mean, he created Divine's look in Pink Flamingos and in Female Trouble and directed, I mean, and created all the, designed all those amazing costumes. I thought the costumes in Female Trouble were worthy of Academy Award. And you can't count out Vincent Peranio, who was the production designer. Yeah. So it's those three plus 
the four actors plus Divine plus John. But those, but those three are incredibly important people because they made, they made it look like what it looked like. And I, I actually got into an argument with a friend of mine yesterday because um, I'm a wannabe filmmaker. I've talked about that multiple times on this show. And uh, all my other friends are very apathetic towards it. Like, they want to make films, but they've kind of accepted defeat. They're like, the stuff that we want to do, you know, you know, the scary movie movies are making all this money, and, and they're like, it's just no point. Nothing that we want to do will ever be successful. And I said, well, look at a film like Pink Flamingos that Great attitude. That's the thing. I was like, you can't, you can't take defeat. You have to look at something like Pink Flamingos that I feel sadly gets written out of the fact that it changed a lot of things. It gets written out, but not all the time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's not considered part of the Hollywood canon, but it's not part of the Hollywood canon because it was made here. It was, was made so in Baltimore. Great. That was what was so great about it. Right, it, was, it, it came out, you know, in a time when there weren't as many independent films being made. So um, the market for them, there were, people were greedy for them. They were hungry for them. And, but, you know, Pink Flamingos wasn't our first film. No. You know, there were movies yeah, that we did, Multiple Maniacs, Mondo Trasho, several, a couple of little shorts that I'm not in. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, there, John was, was building his groundwork before Pink Flamingos. And John has always been very savvy about press <laughs> and, and publicity, so, and promotion. So you have to be willing to get out there and let people not only make the movie, but let people know you've made the movie and talk to people about making the about how you've made the movie. And that's, I think that's what, that's what um, is difficult. You know, the marketing yeah. side of it is the difficult side. Now, I, I kind of just want to talk a little bit about those days. Okay. To be completely honest. I just want to, it's always fascinated me. It's always fascinated me, the concept that a group of friends can just go out and make movies that kind of, at the end of the day, when I watch those movies, I think what appeals to me the most was that you guys seem to want to just make a movie that you guys would watch. Well, and that's what I felt was most important and most interesting about it was that, you know, you kept other people in mind. You want it to shock you. Like, you know, he talked about how he wanted those big moments, but it seemed like you guys were literally just, this is the thing we want to see. <laughs> well, I think these were the movies John wanted to see. So, um, and the rest of us were like, anybody that wanted us to be in any movie, we would have gone, yay! <laughs> and we were just lucky enough that it happened to be John. So, um, you know, I mean, we had a very sort of symbiotic relationship. I mean, John was very fortunate to know people who would be willing to do what he asked them to do because not everybody would have done it, especially at the, you know, later everybody wanted to, but in the beginning, you know, people were like, I don't want to do that. But the, um, but we were also very lucky to have John. John wrote every word. You know, these were not improv films. We were not creating as we went along. We knew very, we knew exactly what we were going to say when we walked on the set. So, um, you know, I mean, it was, it was a wonderful, we were friends, but we were absolutely 100% professional working actors when we were working. So, you know, I mean, it wasn't just like, hey kids, let's go put on a show. I've got a, I've got a costume and here's a barn. You know, it was much more structured than that. And that's something that people honestly don't, I mean, John and I and everyone who's ever been interviewed about the films has always stressed this, but people still don't quite understand. We were not just playing we were actually really working on making a movie and they were John's vision that we all climbed on board happily <laughs> but it was John's vision that drove that drove everything and you know it started off from I mean this is obviously me talking about years before I was even born but <laughs> thank you yeah <laughs> I love being reminded of that <laughs> but you know from what I from what I've researched anyway it seemed like it was kind of the drive-through indie circuit really until about polyester is that true or was it well it wasn't even the drive-through you couldn't get these um, as far as I know pink flamingos never showed in a drive-in but I could be wrong um, you know those, those are John questions you'd have to ask yeah. him um, but you know I mean there really was no midnight movie circuit 
yeah. until Pink Flamingos and then Rocky Horror. I mean, there were a few, but it wasn't something that was really a phenomenon. Um, so this Pink Flamingos and, like I said, Rocky Horror created a midnight movie yeah. uh, circuit. And, but yeah, I mean, Polyester was the first film that we used an actual Hollywood actor. You know, we had Tab Hunter. And then, you know, and up, up until then, we had just been us, you know. Yeah. So that so polyester was the first time we sort of went outside our own group of friends and brought somebody in. And then, I mean, after that came Hairspray, which is my personal favorite. I love Hairspray. I, 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 there's, because Hairspray is one of those movies that... It, it has a heart. Of, it's got a lot of heart, and it, it almost seemed like What's the most shocking thing John Waters can do next? Make a Make children's a movie, movie, right? <laughs> I know. And and there's still, you know, there's sometimes where, um, like an example I can think of is, you know, you look at someone like Kevin Smith, who for yes. a while was known for his R-rated films, and then he made Jersey Girl, which was a PG-13 movie, and it wasn't, it just wasn't a Kevin Smith movie. But you look at poly, uh, you Hairspray. look at Hairspray, and despite being a PG movie, it is very it's, much a John Waters movie. Yeah, it's very much John. Uh, he has, and it's it's got all of you guys. Like it's just so great seeing you guys. And I feel like you know John's always in the spotlight, obviously as you know John Waters. But the appeal is also seeing these actors such as yourself that have become friends of like the the fan base where you're just like oh it's mink <laughs> right <laughs> like, i know once you go into people's living rooms once you go into their tv sets yeah people think they know you <laughs> and, and, and people become more you know more friendly towards you once you're in their living room so which is very nice i mean i love being friends with my yeah. fans i talk to my fans on facebook every day yeah, what, was, what was the shooting process like with hairspray because it's it's it makes me nostalgic for a time period that I wasn't even around to well, witness. Well, Hairspray was a little was very different from the rest of our films. First of all, it was our first Screen Actors Guild movie, so you know the union rules were in play, which meant that we had food, and we, had, <laughs> you know, we had food, and we had drivers, and we had, um, you know, there there were amenities that had never been available to us before, which was really nice, and we had, you know bigger, you know, more famous people around. We had, um, you know, Sonny Bono and Debbie Harry mm -hmm. and uh, Pia Zadora. You know, I mean, these were people that we, you know, and, and um, Jerry Stiller, who was one of my mother's big favorites. She came on, <laughs> she came on the set. She's actually an extra in the movie. And she got to meet Jerry Stiller and was, you know, completely thrilled beyond belief because this was something that... Uh, you know, after all these years of being mortified and humiliated by what I was doing, she could now get something out of it. <laughs> you know, enjoy and truly enjoy it and be proud of it. So that was that was a nice benefit for me. But the um, I forget what we were talking about. Oh, but we were using, you know, every, every movie that we did was different. I mean, we started out with um, eight mil eight millimeter black and white camera. That was John's first movie, Hanging a Black Leather Jacket, which was right before I met him. That was eight millimeter black and white. And then on the, the first movie that I did with him, which was Roman Candles, that's eight millimeter black and white and color, but no sync sound. I mean, you have to have a three tape recorder, I mean, three projectors and a tape recorder to show this movie, because it's triple <laughs> projected. So nobody ever sees it. I mean, it's impossible to see. Um, and then the next film, uh, then he did a couple of shorts, and then uh, he, when we did Mondo Trasho, Mondo Trasho was 16 millimeter black and white, no sync sound. You know, there was a, uh, there's some dialogue overlay and there's a soundtrack, but we were not recorded as we were speaking. Uh, and then we went on to Multiple Maniacs, which was actually black and white, 16 millimeter sync sound. You know, so every movie was this, you know, major step forward. Yeah, this, yes, in, in filming. So, I mean, I feel like I've started in the silence, yeah. you know, because I did, actually. And, well, and there's just so much. I feel like John, back then and even now, just one of the greatest satirists that, that the industry has. Um, I still haven't been able to see mul multiple maniacs. The only things that I've seen are like the clips that are shown in Divine Trash. But, you know... Just his way of, of showing even gay America, the way the rest of the world perceives gay America in the one scene 
with the ringleader saying, you know, and now two live faggots right in front of your eyes. Oh, it's, right. It, his, his ability to just take, as a side it was a sideshow yeah, yeah just you know a sideshow included two live faggots kissing kissing each other like lovers on the lips right i remember, <laughs> I remember the line and uh and there's also somebody who sniffs bicycle seats and there's somebody i forget what i forget what the other you know but but they it was the cavalcade of perversion yeah was the sideshow that's i mean it's just yes it's brilliant it's, yeah it's brilliant for its time it's brilliant for even now even for now yeah <laughs> Kissing um, each other like lovers on the lips. <laughs> I had forgotten about that. I mean, I've forgotten more than you, were, you know. It's, it, it's so, it's almost, you know, this is how I grew up. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I grew up doing this, so, I mean. You wouldn't change it for the world. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> oh, my God, no. I am thrilled to, to, I'm thrilled still to have been a part of it. And, you know, I'm still very good friends with John and, I mean, this is family to me. Yeah. Pink Flamingos is like watching home movies for me. Well, and that was the other thing that I, you know, you listen to commentary tracks and stuff like that, and, you know, he talks about making Crybaby. Right. And having, you know, Tracy Lords on set, and, you know, she was going through her whole thing, and it, it sounded like it was just a giant community there of support for her when the rest of the world was kind of against her. She seemed to be happy. I mean, I didn't really get to know her that well. I liked her, but yeah. I didn't have scenes with her, you know? And when you're not really working with somebody, you know, I didn't hang out on set when I wasn't working, <laughs> you know? So it's, uh, you know, you can, you can actually be in the same movie with somebody and never meet him. Yeah. So, I mean, I did meet her and I liked her, but I didn't really have a whole lot of contact with her. But yeah, she was very sweet, and she was absolutely 100% wel welcomed into the group, as was Patty Hearst, yeah. and um, and Johnny Depp. You know, I mean, we were we all stayed at the same hotel, and so you know, often after a day's work, you know, we'd meet in the bar and we'd hang out there. <laughs> you know, which was really great. It was really fun because we could all relax and just you know spend time together. Um, that doesn't always happen. <laughs> so, um, you know, but it, it was it was a very very friendly set. Well, John's sets are generally very friendly. Yeah, it's they're it's, happy places. It's so strange watching those films, especially for the first time. I'll never forget the first time I watched Pink Flamingos, and uh, I remember describing it to a friend, and I was just like, the movie ended, and I hated it. I was like, I hated everything about it. I hated that I sat there and watched it. I had gotten it through Netflix. I put it in its envelope, sealed it up, put it in the mailbox full of disgust. And then an hour later, it was like, I wish I didn't seal that up. I kind of want to watch it again. <laughs> and it just, and it was kind of one of those movies that it's just, it's so different and so unique that it's almost like you miss it the first time. And oh, I think, I think a lot yeah. can go right past you the first time. I, with that one and with Female Trouble, um, because it's just, you know, the dialogue is flying. There are no pauses. <laughs> you know, we were never instructed. We did not take artistic, dramatic pauses in any of the dialogue. You know, John would have flipped out had we done that. I mean, it was word, 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 next word, 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 next word, word, word. So, you know, I mean, it was, we weren't really supposed to do, you know. And you almost became like his queen of monologues. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have a lot of words. <laughs> I say I, a lot of words. It almost feels like at some point he was just like, let me see how many paragraphs <laughs> I can get me to say in I, one take. He, ne <laughs> he never said that to me, but he, he does like to write really nasty dialogue for me. He loves me to say cuss words. He likes to write cuss words for me. Because I rarely, you know, in my own life, yeah. I'm not like that. I mean, I certainly can throw the F-bomb. <laughs> you know, when it's appropriate, but I'm not particularly foul-mouthed in my real life, so so he really he likes to hear me say really nasty stuff. <laughs> and I enjoy it, too, because, you know, when you don't, most of the time, it's really fun when you get to. <laughs> so is there anything else that you're working on currently that, <coughs> that we can look forward to? I am currently recording my first album. Oh. Yes, and, and this is very exciting to me. Um, because it's something I've been wanting to do for, for a long time. I've been singing for about 10 years. And I got started with a group of musicians in LA, um, Brian Grillo being, 
probably the most significant person that I work with because he wrote some songs for me and introduced me to other musicians and put a band together. He was with a group, he was with a, a, a band called Extra Fancy. And he's sort of an old punk rocker from from L.A. And he's great. He's is a it kind of like a rockabilly type? That I just imagine it would be kind of rockabilly for some reason. No. No. <laughs> Not even remotely. Um, it's eclectic. You know, I do some ballads and I do... Um, um, it's more jazz. It would oh. be more jazz. Jazz. Uh, I'm more of a crooner. Nice. <laughs> than, than, a, uh, than anything else. So... Um, um, it's not a jazz album. I wouldn't call it that. Yeah. But it's it's really an eclectic. You know, I'm doing one song on it. One song that I'm doing on is a song that I sang with the Cockettes back in 1972 in San Francisco. It's called No Nos Nanook. So I'm doing that, <laughs> and that's got a little, slightly more Dixieland feel to it. But there's, you know, I'm doing a lot of Lovett's song. I'm doing, you know, I mean, all of this different different types of music that I'm doing. And when. Um do you have any clue when we can no. do that? No, no. I wish I, I wish I did. I may be doing a fundraiser. I may be doing a Kickstarter fundraiser in order to, to raise the money to finish it because it's. I have discovered that doing it really well costs okay. really a lot of money. Um, well, where can my listeners go to help out with that? Or well, I haven't done it yet. So right. you know, I haven't launched it yet. So, um, but yes, they can always just check on my my Facebook page, Minkstolefans. You know, I'm Facebook slash Minkstolefans. Mm-hmm. And um, I also have a website, minkstall.com. All right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm findable. I am absolutely <laughs> findable on the internet. And I like, as you know, I respond. Yes. <laughs> I can't sometimes answer every single email that comes my way, but I try. I wish I could promise that I do, but sometimes they slip past me, but I do try. I think that's what they appreciate, what yeah. fans appreciate the most is just I knowing do try that it's being read sometimes. I read them all and <laughs> sometimes I just, you know, things okay. come up and I can't get to them, but, um, and then, you know, something else is, and then it gets lost in the back pages, but I've, I've never deliberately not answered anybody. All right, well, thank you for stopping by, thank you, or <laughs> me stopping by here. <laughs> this has been really fun, are we done? Yes. Oh, okay. All right, uh, we'll be back after this commercial break. Do you like some funny fucking shit? Then maybe you should check out HugeFrickinArms.com I had the creator on the show, Eric Germ, last episode And guess what? Since then, the site's been updated almost on a daily basis And there's been a lot of new users So I suggest that you head over to HugeFrickinArms.com And you start reading, you start commenting And if you're a writer, you should sign up and write for them Ladies and gentlemen, Crystal. Hoping I'm in tune 
Dreaming of the stars Pegasus and Mars But they seem just out of reach Whoa, I need you to know Whoa, I don't even Great, Chris. Thank you for uh, coming by and playing that for us. You're welcome. Uh, so, you're not just a musician. I mean, you you clearly are. I've I've seen you play multiple things from bass, guitar, piano, cello, violin. I mean, that would still put me in the realm of musician, I believe. But you do a little bit more than that. Yeah. What do you do also? Um, I do. I'm basically would consider myself very uh, knowledgeable when it comes to. The music business so i think i would call myself like a band manager gotcha now are you working with any bands currently or or what are you doing right now well i'm currently working on some projects with a guy named um jeff in the band called or not, well his artist name is called is he misery so it's really just him gotcha and um sort of managing him right now uh, but there's some good things happening for him right now, so we'll see what's happening there. Just giving that a try. Awesome. Uh, and you also record on the side, and I remember for a while you were doing a little bit of tour booking. Uh, is all that still going on? or? Well, I um, when I left Saleta, I did some management for them for a little bit, and I got them on some tours, but uh, they sort of kind of decided on an indefinite hiatus at the moment, so that didn't really happen. Yeah. <laughs> Now you, you know, you mentioned Saleta and you, uh, to a lot of my listeners might know you as Chris from Committed, Saleta and Sky Life, all basically the same band with just different names. <laughs> um, yeah. I was the only one who changed instruments each time. <laughs> it's like, what was it? Um, committed bass and guitar. Then the Sky Life it's guitar. And then Soleta was piano. So you just kept moving around. 
Meanwhile, Greg and Clark stayed on. Uh, yeah, I'm really upset interest. I didn't get to like the cowbell. That would have been great if I just. <laughs> oh, got you could have pulled that out it at any time. Like, do, 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 do. We could have gotten like tango <laughs> slash salsa <laughs> stuff going on. Now we've been friends for a while. We even lived together for a bit, and uh, there's been some good memories from that apartment. Yes. There was re- there was recently uh, someone posted a video on my Facebook of a taco night that we had one night during weird ass movie nights. <laughs> uh, but we also recorded random songs in your room, sort of on the fly. We would just randomly be like, "I got a song idea," and then you know, me, you, and Jeff would just sit in there and just do the most ridiculous things and. Even then, you were clearly the most serious about it. Come on, guys. We're yeah. doing this. <laughs> like, we got to take the third take. Like, well, why haven't we done this in one take? Like, we were so set on just one take, and that's the song. <laughs> one take done. That's I, it. We recorded uh, one of my songs, hit single we attempted to record, and uh, we, we eventually scrapped the idea and almost went with going with a dance song instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing ever came from that, but I remember you... Yeah, I never finished that. I still have that, though. <laughs> as soon as I get this MacBook Pro up and running, maybe I could finish it. I remember you, uh, were amazed by the fact that you described it as me singing both on-key and off-key at the exact same time, because I was singing in-key with my out-of-tune guitar. Yeah, you were doing a good job at doing that. So. <laughs> I, I, I've never heard a guitar so completely out-of-tune... Like, what would the word be? Cacophonous, right? I think so, yeah. It would just be horrible. And somehow you are able to pick out the the one or two notes that were right and still sing on to. So <laughs> I thought it was very interesting because I could never do that. I, that's a talent on a different level. I think I need to get a new guitar because I recently had someone try to... No, you don't need a Someone tried to tune it the other day and they're like, this is fucking impossible. And they just like, <laughs> threw it. They're like, I'm done. It's not happening. They, they tried for like a half hour and they're like, every time I think it's in tune... I need to take some tune, antidepressants. This is terrible. They, they were like, every time I think it's in tune, it goes out of tune again. I remember even having those conversations with you. There's been shows where I think we it's a, are... It's a realm-shattering guitar. Because <laughs> like, if you think you're a good good, good guitarist or in, like musician, you try to tune this guitar and it just doesn't happen. Well, it's and the just, other thing like, that people... What's wrong with me? I had someone once tell me that if I got a different guitar, I could potentially be an amazing guitar player strictly because of how well I play that guitar with the action that's on it because it's got like half an inch of action going that I yeah. just never bothered to take care of. It does. It's like, man, I really my hands are tired. <laughs> it's like you're it's like you're pushing it's like you're on a a trampoline of strings. You're just trying to like get it down to the the, the bottom. Yeah, I had calluses like no other guitarist back. In the <laughs> it literally looked like I had shoved my fingers into nails. Uh, it was good times though. I remember having a blast all those days and, you know, playing shows with committed back in the day. I mean, you and I have had a history of at least, I would say six or seven years. It feels like, yeah, where you would play and yeah, where I would book committed on shows. I remember the first time I ever met you, there was two times I met you. Uh, the first time was you weren't in committed. You were just a friend of Greg. Yeah, and I was doing coffee houses, and he's like, "You should get Chris to do a show," and I had no clue who you were. I was like, "All right," and you played and you kicked ass. Oh no, I did not kick ass. I still have video of it. You kicked yeah, you ass. Never that ever piano. That video. You worked with a piano that was incredibly I out of tune. Definitely practiced about fifteen minutes before that show, and that's you why showed, we were late too. Yeah, you we were showed like, up an hour late for the show. We're like we were practicing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you said car trouble. Yeah, I lied. Fucker. <laughs> I waited all these years to tell you. Uh, and then the second time was at the, now I think it's gone, but Kahunaville. Oh, yeah. I booked a show at Kahunaville with you guys, Five Pie, Bombs Away, and my December. And that was pretty much my December's last show. And it was also the last show for Committed's drummer, Jordan, because after that, Clark from My December became the drummer for Committed. Yep, they switched places. No, they didn't. Yeah. Jordan is now a successful saxophone player for an orchestra in New York. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't even know we played saxophone. Yeah, he's amazing. And it's weird is that, yeah. you know, New York of all places. Yeah. I was literally in a subway in New York with Sammy, my girlfriend, and I saw him. And it's just <laughs> like, Jordan? He's like, and he just... It's like, Chris, this is odd. We're <laughs> on, in a subway together in New York. 
and he explained how successful he was and then I bowed my head as like I'm still playing in a band <laughs> <laughs> you might know them they're called committed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the sky life at that point but you might know them they're called sky life it's basically committed <laughs> it's basically we decided to change our name because everyone hated us. So. <laughs> they, they hated Committed. And then apparently the band Skylight from Georgia really hated Skylight. Well, yeah, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a way to trick people. Because we're like, man, Committed sucked. And they're like, oh, what's this other band? The Skylight? Oh, uh, wait a second. This is just Committed with less screaming. I remember the ongoing battle because the whole Skylife thing happened while you were living in the apartment with us. You're like, I think we're going to change the name. We're thinking Skylife. And I was like, it sounds great. And then like, you had this ongoing thing where you're like, there's some band in Georgia that thinks they're the Skylife and they clearly were the Skylife well, before not, you guys were. They're not Georgia. I mean, if you're talking about country, you could compare the country Georgia to Canada, which is where they're from. They Canada. were from Canada? Yeah. I swore they were from Georgia. No. They were a country group. No, though. no, no. That's committed. You're confusing the two names. Oh. <laughs> there, was a, there was a band in Texas of 13-year-olds that would call themselves committed. You know what's funny, actually, is... Uh, do you remember the Christian punk band Dogwood? Yes. Okay. Relatively popular band. I found a video of them per, uh, performing at like a festival or something on YouTube one day. And I'm reading the comments and it was posted by the band. And this kid posted, yo, man, love the band, but we got a problem. See, me and my friends just formed a band called Dogwood and we were wondering if we could have the name. <laughs> and he's like... <laughs> Well, he's like, you know, it's a good name and all, but, you know, we've been playing for 15 years. We've got a pretty strong fan base that knows this is Dogwood. I feel like it'd be really misleading if you use the name yeah. on the flyers. <laughs> like, And this kid just couldn't understand that. He's like, well, I mean, but, like, the people around here know us as Dogwood. <laughs> it's like it's like when, when uh, was it when GE was uh, bankrupt at the moment, right? When yeah. They're almost out of business. It's like some other business comes up and says, you know, we, can we just, since you guys are basically going to be gone soon, can we just use your name? We call ourselves General Electric. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> matter. Your brand doesn't, has no bearing. Dogwood definitely was known. Like, Dogwood was real. They like, weren't like, you know, platinum. But, but they <laughs> were, but like as far, especially in like the Christian punk music scene, they were like one of the top, bands like they had like 15 albums or something <laughs> like they were ridiculous they, yeah, they were good i remember enjoying dogwood i couldn't guy couldn't, guy couldn't never sing why well. they called themselves dogwood because it, it was like the name of the wood that the cross was built or something like i that. always thought of and it's odd a christian band dogwood i always thought of like a dog with a boner <laughs> <laughs> and it was just odd it's just like yeah jesus they sound, loves you dog boner <laughs> they uh they sounded like like a almost like a bad version of bad religion because <laughs> <laughs> like, the guy like i love the band but the guy just couldn't sing to save his life yeah um bad right. religion eventually learned i mean that guy what's his name i don't remember he was a pissed off i was man. just listening to his um <laughs> he just released a book about how anarchy is probably the best form of anything interesting Which are you an anarchist now uh you know i dabble <laughs> in the idea but then i realize humanity is just no <laughs> we won't go into that subject. I could be can become pretty cynical pretty quick. All right. Well, it's looking like we're running a little bit out of time. Um, You're out of time. Yeah. So where can people keep up with you and the artists that you manage? What's the best way? Well, to I didn't know I didn't mention that I was working on a project that um, is similar to sort of like the post rock instrumental groups like This Will Destroy You and Limbic System. If you have ever heard of them. Um, you can check that out. It's called, I'm working on it right now. It's not complete. It's called the grand flight. All right. There's the name of the project. It's all instrumental, cool stuff. I mean, I think the best, if a lot of people have heard Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's soundtrack for the social network. Yeah. So it's a lot like that. You can check that out. The grand flight, just search it on Facebook. It's there. Um, also is he misery? Check that out. At, is he misery yeah. in MySpace? and whoever uses MySpace. No one. Um, <laughs> and what else do I do? That's it. I mean, I have some solo stuff. If you go to Pure Volume, you use Pure Volume. <laughs> you can search Chris Hill and I come up. But that's pretty much it. Right now, my main focus is 
recording bands for under my production company called Hill Productions. Nice. You can check that out in, on Facebook. Too. On Facebook, Hill so, Productions? Yeah. All right. So all you uh, potential musicians out there that are kind of in the... I guess you're just specifically working on people near you in the tri-state area as opposed to, say, near in California. Me, yeah, near me, <laughs> who don't expect the best quality. But Good sale. Good sale, Good, sale, good, good demo. If you want to hear a, a brief example of the quality that Chris can give you, uh, next week, if you're a subscriber on our RSS feed or our iTunes feed, you will hear a parody that I recorded while in the studio today. So... Uh, look for that uh, on iTunes and in your RSS feeds. It won't be available on Geekscape. And it literally, not to quote Lady Gaga, will be the best thing to come to the music business ever. So pretty much, yes, it'd be amazing. Because didn't she say that about her song? And then it just didn't <laughs> flop. It just wasn't as good. As <laughs> she said it was. She's like, it's gonna be so awesome. Yeah, she wasn't born this way to make hit songs. Yeah, don't be a drag. Uh, Wait, don't be a queen. Just. Don't be a drag, just be a queen or something. Yeah, like whatever. That. Fuck Lady Gaga. <laughs> so, thank you for coming by, Chris. Chico's Vibe, play us out. St. Mort Show is produced by Power Down Productions and sponsored by Geekscape.net. Theme song provided by Chico's Vibe and can be found at chicosvibe.com.